0: Good morning and welcome to worship at Kern Church. My name is Will and I'm the pastor here. And uh, it is such a joy to be with you all today. Our, here at Kern Church we're committed to creating hope and belonging by connecting you with a life renewed by Jesus and, and that's really my hope for you today and, and if you're joining us online I want to say a special word of welcome thank you for joining our live stream today and uh, worship I want to invite you next week if you're in the local area to join us in person at 9 or 11 I, I, I'm really glad to be in worship with you this day as we as we come to God as we as we continue to, to listen to the Easter stories that, that Jesus has for us, so let me offer a word of prayer for you, and we'll continue to worship God. God, thank you so much for your spirit of life and love. I pray that that you are blessed as your people bless and worship you, and that you will speak to the hearts of each one, so that when we leave this place, each one will know that they've had an encounter with you, through Christ Jesus our Lord, amen. Amen. You know, one of the, the thing, most important things that I, I think that I can teach my kids is knowing the difference between needs and wants. Have you ever had that conversation with your own kids and your own maybe grandkids perhaps? You know, this, I need this candy bar or I need this sucker and maybe you don't need it so much. You might want it, but but maybe you don't need it. And And I think this is an important lesson to teach my children because I never learned that lesson. Um, And maybe you never learned that lesson either when you really start to think about it, and I might as well confess it now. Um, I have this thought that I need a new grill, and if you've been to my house, you know I have seven. Um, and, and so I, I probably don't need a new grill, but I have this thought that I need a gas grill because, you know, that would be really convenient on the weekdays that, that I, I need I need a gas grill. So when I don't want to start charcoal or, or I, I don't want to smoke something, you know, it would be really convenient to be able to, uh, you know, uh, turn the, the gas on. And flame happen, uh, clean burning propane, um, as Hank Hill, you know, like it's Hank Hill style. And um, if you know that, great. If not, then forget about it. But uh, but 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 the thing is, I don't really need it. My loving wife reminds me that there is a difference between needs and wants. And 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 I I I want one, I, but I don't really need one. I, I have to confess, I continue to look on Facebook Marketplace for that. You know, that, 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 that perfect gas grill in great condition that, that somebody needs to offload for free or close to free. Um, but uh, it hasn't happened quite yet. I missed my chance with a neighbor, um, but I was having surgery that day and it didn't work out. But anyways, knowing the difference between needs and wants it is so important. But needs and wants change over time. I bet if you if you talked about your needs, the needs you have in your life and compared them against your grandparents or especially your great-grandparents, they would be quite different, wouldn't they? I mean, if, if you looked at the needs that just lived 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, the, the needs, many of the needs would be the same. Shelter, food, you know, clothes to 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 keep yourself safe in and and to whatever the case may be. But there are other things that are on your needs list that probably wouldn't be on the needs list of your grandparents or your great-grandparents. Number one is having multiple computers that you can take with you. You know, a smartphone or, a, or an iPad or something like that. I mean, even 10, 15 years ago, you couldn't imagine it being a need to have a computer in your pocket. But if I don't have a computer in my pocket, I, 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 I'm, I, I don't, I'm not able to connect with people. I'm not able to, you know, waste time, which that's probably more of a, a want. But there are needs to having a computer in your in your pocket these days. But But it's beyond just like these physical needs, there are other needs as well. Of course you have physical needs, you know, your food, shelter, water, a safe place for your family. But there are other needs that you have as well. You and I both also have needs that that are based on based on things beyond physical survival. Things like community well-being, love of other people, things that are good for your psychological well-being, not just your physical sustenance. And regardless of if it's your, your physical needs or your psychological needs, there are some people that just know exactly what you need. It's like the mom who knows what her baby needs depending on how she cries. Now, I don't know what my baby needs depending on how he cries, but my wife knows exactly what that means. You know, whether it's his tired cry or a hungry cry or whatever the case may be, the mom that's in tune with the specific cries of their baby know exactly what she needs. As you are perhaps thinking about the needs and the the wants you might have in your own life today... I want to share with you about a serious, what I think is a serious topic when it comes to faith. And that's the topic of doubt. I want to talk to you about doubt and when doubt enters into faith. Last week, the Christian church celebrated Easter. And Easter is the day that marks the resurrection of Jesus. And and really, in in the, the Easter celebration in the life of the Christian church, Easter is not just one day. Easter is a season And in fact, last week we entered into a season of Easter. But the thing is, when you tell the Easter story, it's a pretty fantastic story. And not fantastic in like that that roller coaster was fantastic, but fantastic as in like, that's kind of hard to believe. The story goes something like this, this guy named Jesus who was also God, was killed in a state-sponsored execution. He was placed in this tomb, had a big fancy, or just really big, stone rolled in front of the tomb, and then somebody came on, on Sunday to kind of like mourn and grieve, and the tomb was empty. And, and not only that, not only was the tomb empty, if you found an empty tomb, it would be a curious thought, But in fact, that uh, he had not just like disappeared from the tomb, but that this person that came to visit also saw him walking around in the same garden that the tomb was, was, was located in. So he rose from the grave and then ended up visiting a whole bunch of people over the next several weeks. And to be honest, this is a crazy story. When people die, they stay dead. When people die, they don't come back to life. I mean, this is a story that I know well. This is a story that I believe. But I think it's also a story that raises a few eyebrows if you're honest with yourself. I mean, if you shared some, someone this story who's never heard it before, I doubt their first impression will be, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Of course somebody would be dead um, and, and then come back to life if you're honest with yourself, I think there are perhaps times in your own life when you question and you have your own doubts as it relates to this or other things regarding faith. And if that's the case, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, at that first Easter, one of the most common reactions to what happened was not belief, belief that Jesus did rise from the dead, but it was instead doubt doubt that it even happened in the first place. When people first encountered the news that Jesus rose from the grave, their first reaction was what anybody's first reaction might be. It was disbelief. It was doubt. It was, yeah, I'm not so sure about this. So whether it was doubt at that first Easter or doubt that you might be experiencing today, doubt is so much a part of faith. And here's the thing about doubt when you doubt, Jesus offers to give you exactly what you need. Exactly what you need. Right now, I want to tell you a story of someone who expressed doubt when they heard about the news of Jesus rising from the grave, and then tell you what Jesus did for them. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, I want to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 20. And John tells us the stories of Jesus, of his life and his ministry. And that's what we're looking at today. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. And here John is writing about what happened to Jesus and his followers after he rose from the grave. And in this passage, we're going to encounter this guy named Thomas. So so let's take a look. Thomas, the one called Didymus one of the 12 was with the disciples when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. Oh, he. What? So Thomas, he's one of the 12 followers of Jesus, but he wasn't with Jesus or with the others when, when Jesus came to them. So he said, um, when they said, we've seen the Lord, he replied, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger in his wound, I'm not going to believe it. So here's the thing about Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. You may have heard the phrase doubting Thomas, may have used it yourself. This is just a colloquialism uh, about somebody who doubts. And it's kind of become a nickname and a negative, uh, somebody that has a doubting side in their life. And what I, you know, Thomas did say, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my hands in the wounds on his side, you know, I, I'm not going to believe. Everyone else is saying at this point, Jesus rose from the dead, and Thomas is like, yeah, I'm not so sure. But here's the thing I want to point out about Thomas. Before you get too hard, or we be too hard on Thomas, I want to point out the, the, the very first thing that I read in verse 24. And here you'll find that Thomas wasn't the only one who was doubting this news that Jesus rose from the dead. If you'll put that scripture back on the screen, verse 24, and here we read that that Thomas was one of the 12, but he wasn't with the other disciples when Jesus came. Jesus showed up first to all the other disciples, and it just so happens that Thomas wasn't in the room. We learn that the other disciples saw Jesus with their own eyes. They had already had the opportunity to lay their eyes on him, to touch his wounds, even to put their hands in the side of Jesus. Thomas isn't saying that, that he doesn't believe in Jesus, or he isn't saying that he, he, he doesn't believe that this is possible. But what he's saying is, you guys have seen the proof, and I just want the same thing you have. I just, I just can't believe it unless I see and feel the same thing you have. I mean, these other disciples, they were doubting too. They weren't so sure about what had happened. You see, very early in the the, the morning on that Easter when Jesus rose from the grave, we find that there's this woman named Mary, and Mary is the first one to encounter the risen Lord. And she believes, but all the men, all the other disciples, they're in hiding. They are afraid, and they are in hiding. They, they, they their 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 follower, their teacher has been killed, and all of Jesus' disciples were in hiding because they were scared. And and being in hiding and being scared, you no, know, that's not the confidence of people who are sure about things. That's the attitude of people who aren't sure about things. They're, they're not sure about what's going on. They're doubting this news that Mary is telling them that Jesus rose from the dead. But then and this is before we read this is before in earlier in John chapter 20 what happened next is that Jesus shows up to them in the room he walks into the room that they're staying in and actually visits them and then and only after Jesus visits them does their doubt disappear are they able to believe so when we read that Thomas doubted it's not that he's doing anything that wasn't normal for the rest of Jesus' followers Thomas is just living his faith and and being honest. He's like, look, guys, I'm not going to believe in this unless I see it like you did. He's just being honest. He knows that people don't rise from the dead. He knows that perhaps his friends are being a little bit delusional and maybe having some wishful thinking, and maybe they're the ones losing their faith and not trusting in God. The thing that Thomas doesn't realize is that the other disciples already had their doubt met by the visit of Jesus himself. Jesus knew they were doubting, and he gave them exactly what they needed. And here Thomas is just saying, I don't believe you, and and, and if I don't see Jesus with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe. Furthermore, Thomas is even even a little more specific. He wants to make sure that, that he isn't seeing a ghost or something. After you know, after a loved one has died, perhaps you've had a vision of them visiting you. Maybe it's been in a dream. Maybe it seemed really real. I mean, this is a common experience for human beings. That you, you see a loved one who has died. After their death, they come to you and, and in a way that you have a hard time perhaps even imagining. And, and, and Thomas is like, I know that this happens, and I want to make sure that, that that's not what's going on. So if I don't touch him and really feel him, I'm not going to believe this is different. For Thomas to believe, he needs more than than what his friends are trying to give him. In fact, in eight days, for eight days, his doubt will be building up. For eight days, his doubt will be building up and eating inside of him. For eight days, his friends will continue to believe. And for eight days, he's just not going to be sure about the whole thing. He's not going to be sure about this resurrection stuff that they keep talking about. And then John continues to tell us what happens in verse 26. After eight days... The disciples again were in a house, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus entered and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my sides. Look at my hand. Put your hand in my side. No more disbelief. Believe. Jesus replied, do you believe? Oh, actually, sorry. In verse 28, Thomas responded to Jesus, my Lord, my God. So so Jesus said, put your hands here. Look at me. It's really me. And and, and Thomas, his doubt is, is put aside. And he says, you're right. My Lord, my God, it is you. Then in verse 29, Jesus replied, do you believe because you see me? Happy are those who don't see and yet believe. Then Jesus did many other miraculous signs in his disciples' presence, signs that aren't recorded in this scroll, John tells us, but these things were written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, God's Son, and that believing, you will have life in his name. Thomas doubted that Jesus was alive. And he knew everything that he needed in order to believe. He needed to touch Jesus. He needed to witness the the resurrected Lord himself. And Jesus knew, knew this and gave Thomas exactly what he needed for his faith. In his doubt, Jesus offered Thomas exactly what he needed. You know, Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed and he gave him exactly what he needed. And Jesus knows exactly what you need as well. Here's the thing, you and I are about 2,000 years removed from these events. You and I are about 2,000 years removed from these experiences that that Thomas had with Jesus. And in these days, many still doubt this Easter story. In fact, there are a number of people who would, even a number of people who would consider themselves Christians who think that this Easter story and this idea of resurrection, it's not so, something so much to doubt, but it doesn't matter all that much because it's really more of a metaphor than something that actually happened. And whether it happened or not, it's a good story that can provide hope and meaning in your life. It's a metaphor and perhaps for some type of spiritual renewal in your life or, or hope or rebirth And some, you know, it doesn't really matter if Jesus actually rose from the dead because it's a good story that inspires hope for a better tomorrow. And it is a good story that inspires hope for a better tomorrow. Or perhaps many see it as a spiritual metaphor about how good things can come out of bad things. And good things can come out of bad things. For for someone that doubts For someone that doubts this central claim of the Easter story—that a man who was dead could be alive—I mean, they doubt because it's a ridiculous claim. It's a ridiculous claim. But what I want you to know is that that those early followers of Jesus—they also knew it was a ridiculous claim. It's not a modern or an enlightenment idea or a 21st century idea that a man rising from the dead is a ridiculous claim. This was a ridiculous claim in the ancient world. One of the a great Bible scholars, a guy by the name of N.T. Wright, perhaps some of you have heard from him or heard about him, he had a, did an interview recently in the New York Times. And in this interview, he, he said that ordinary, sober people. This is ancient people, 2,000 years ago people. Ordinary, sober people knew perfectly well that dead people don't get raised up again. I mean, everybody knew dead people don't get raised up again. This is not a modern thing. This is just part of being human. And then he wrote that, or said that early Christianity was born into a world where everybody knew that its central claim was ridiculous. Everybody knew that it was ridiculous to believe that a man rose from the dead. And the early Christians knew it themselves. It wasn't like it was news to them. They knew it themselves. To this, it is understandable that, that that modern folks would come up with more believable accounts of the resurrection, one where it's a metaphor for something else. But if you look at the resurrection accounts found in the New Testament, it doesn't just line up with the resurrection being a metaphor. If you look at the language, in fact, used in the, in the Bible, in the original language of the Bible, the New Testament, which is Greek, you, you find, and this is in that same interview, you find that in the first century, the word for resurrection, it's a specific Greek word, a word for resurrection, it was never about some vague sense or possibility of rebirth or, or hope or anything like that. It was always about people who had been bodily dead, like dead dead, and then rose again, rose being bodily alive. It's beyond question that when the first followers of Jesus used that language about him, that language of resurrection, that they intended to say something specific and definite, that this man was dead, but now he is bodily alive. And then he concludes in this statement, unless we are prepared to acknowledge that, we're simply not taking their words seriously. So when you or, or I might experience doubt, it is rooted in the same experiences of those earliest followers of Jesus. It is rooted in the same thing that the earliest followers of Jesus had to deal with. And when you take the words of the New Testament seriously, it's okay to doubt them. And in fact, I think that doubting the words of the New Testament is probably better than trying to explain them away as a nice spiritual metaphor. In fact, if you ever find yourself in a place of doubt, you are in good company. I mean, and then you go back to Thomas's story and his doubt. And Jesus doesn't shun him. Jesus doesn't say, get away from me, you, you know, evil person, person of little doubt or little faith. Jesus doesn't try to distance himself from Thomas. Instead, Jesus welcomes Thomas in all his doubts. He welcomes him in and all his doubts. And Jesus welcomes Thomas in and invites him and gives him everything that he needs. Jesus says, Thomas, I know you're struggling. I know you're struggling with your doubts. Why don't you come over here and get close to me? Why don't you come over here and get close to me? Jesus says, Thomas, come over here and touch my wounds for yourself. It really is me. And Jesus meets Thomas right where he is. And Jesus offers to Thomas exactly what he needs. And because Jesus met Thomas right where he was and met him just how he needed, Thomas replied in faith. He said, my Lord, my God, when you doubt, When you doubt, Jesus offers to give you just what you need. And when you experience doubt in faith, or when someone you know is experiencing doubt in faith, it's okay, you are in good company. Doubt is part of faith, it's part of life. And we see this in those earliest followers of Jesus, those people who saw him face to face, and even then they doubted. And then listen to what Jesus says to them after this experience. He says to them, these people that he gave, exactly what you need. He said, do you believe because you see? Jesus knows that's exactly why they believe. Do you believe because you see? Happy are those who don't see yet believe. I think this is an interesting statement because everyone up until this point believes Jesus because they have seen Jesus. He has given them everything they need in order to believe. But then Jesus says, "Happier those, Happy are those who don't see yet yet they believe. Another translation says, even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Jesus says that for those who follow after him without seeing him, there are even better blessings in store. Jesus is saying that for those who believe after I am with them in person, that they will receive an even greater blessing blessing. Now this to me at first sounds like a little bit of a dig to, to Thomas for not believing because he, he in fact had to see. But I don't think Jesus is saying it's, it's bad to have doubts here. I don't think Jesus is saying that Thomas is somehow deficient. But I think he's saying that for those that come after Thomas, perhaps it'll be a little bit harder. But even if Jesus will not show himself to you as he did to Thomas, to his other disciples, it doesn't mean that Jesus can't or or won't give you exactly what you need. Because when you doubt, Jesus offers to give you what you need. The way that Jesus offers to help Thomas in his doubt and, and the way that I, I think that he offers to help you is inviting you closer. Jesus invites Thomas closer to him and, and, and closer to, to get closer to Jesus, as close as Thomas even wants to get it. And, and this is still one of the ways that Jesus promises to to speak to you, to give you what you need in the midst of whatever you're, whatever you're going through. I think about the moments in my life when I've experienced the most, most doubt in faith and in life, and, and the way that this doubt has been overcome has always been proximity. It's always been getting close or getting closer to Jesus getting closer to those that, that know Jesus, getting closer to those that can teach and speak the faith, getting closer to those that pray, getting closer to God. And sometimes this is through prayer. Sometimes this is through other people who, who really bless me and provide an answer in the doubt. And for these times, I, I give God thanks because, because God knows exactly what I've needed during these times. And so I want to encourage you that, that when you encounter doubt in your life, or when you encounter other people who are, who are struggling and having a difficult time in their faith, that Jesus offers to give you everything that you need. Jesus offers to give you, as he gave Thomas, exactly what you need. Closeness and, and love. And this is part of the Easter story. This is part of the message that, that Jesus shows up in life and in doubt, offering exactly what you need. So regardless of what you're experiencing today or, or where you've been in the past, I want you to know that Jesus offers everything that you need. And maybe that's a place of doubt that you're holding on to, or, or maybe it's just a place of assurance that, that yeah, Jesus really does do this. Or, and if you, you look back in your life and you're at a good place in your faith and you just want to give God thanks that during your times of hardship and doubt... That, that you did receive everything you need. Or maybe you're struggling in a place of doubt this morning and you really need that presence of God as, as Thomas had that presence of God. And if, and if that's where you are, I invite you to ask for it. Ask for it as Thomas did. And I promise that, that God will speak to you in a powerful way. Right now, I want to offer a prayer for you as, as you continue to seek after God, continue to, to invite Jesus closer in your doubt, in your hope, in your life and all that you have. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much
1: for your presence.
0: I thank you that that you spoke to Thomas in a way and gave him exactly what he needed. Hope and life and love. My prayer right now is for each one who hears these words is that you will speak into their life in a powerful way. That if there is doubt, that you will show up. You will show up giving exactly what is needed. And for those that that aren't here and those that are struggling throughout our community and our families and our lives, I pray also that you will show up in a way that speaks to them, offers them everything they need for hope. In your name we pray, amen. As the song said, God so loved the world, God loves you. Take this love with you this day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.